0: The Financial Planning South Africa podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. All discussion is limited to publicly available information and should not be interpreted as legal, professional, or financial advice.
1: Hi, I'm Louis van der Merwe, Certified Financial Planner. Join me every week where I get to have discussions with global leaders in the financial planning space to help you serve your clients better and run a more efficient financial planning practice. This is
0: Financial Planners South Africa podcast. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion for people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. ComSpace is a revenue management solution developed specifically for independent financial advisors. It is a web based application that tracks, allocates, and manages advisor revenue. The system seamlessly reads commission statements from financial institutions and can address any permutation of commission splits. ComSpace provides mind blowing out the box revenue business intelligence and analytics, along with super flexible reporting to effectively manage and grow your business.
1: Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today in the studio I have with me Luke Martens. Myself and Luke met at the recent Financial Planning Institute convention and I think he must be one of the guys that's the most passionate about this profession we call financial planning. So Luke, thanks so much for joining me today
2: yeah thanks man i'm really honored to join your podcast to join the league of exclusive attention you know and uh yeah i quite like it And and i've listened to a couple and i'm really excited so thanks for that
1: thanks for that luke i mean it's your passion comes through in conversations and and i think with previous guests as well when we start talking about how as younger financial planners we can start changing this profession or this industry but before we get into that for the listeners, can you give us a kind of a short intro in terms of how you got into financial planning? When I mean, you're a certified financial planner, how did you end up being a certified financial planner?
2: Okay, um, so I started my journey um, in accounting. Actually, you know, so my background was in, in accounting and, and auditing, and um, and yeah, and I think that uh, somebody introduced me to this kind of career. And advanced to, and I was like, actually, that's so interesting. You know, you mean you work with people, and you get to work in an environment where you can actually make a change. And I'd spoken a little bit about how my family actually never really got the opportunity to experience financial planning, you know. Uh, and so I thought, okay, let me pursue this one. So I, I got through, and once I was done, um, I had my my uh, my qualification, but needed a job. So I, I went and worked at, at Sunlam. And while I was at at, at, uh, at Sunlam, it was it was really it was quite nice. It was a brutal environment, I think, um, especially with the kind of of view that I had initially about the industry. Uh, but I think with the one uh, clear vision that they had is they were trying to um, diversify their their advisor base, which presented an opportunity, and they also wanted professional financial planners, and they identified the CFP mark, and so they put um, you know five or six of us. Uh, on this journey of doing the post-grad and, and doing the actual qualifications. So, so I went along uh, that way. But in essence, my, um, my my training environment was where it was actually very difficult to work in that kind of environment. Then after that, I, I applied for a job and eventually I worked at, at Alexander Forbes and as a, a planner. Then when that world moved on to being then a consultant, I really enjoyed that time there. Um, but in essence, in my growth, I'd learned a lot about the industry. But I saw that there was something unique about where the industry was going, not just the technical elements about it. They were actually looking at, um, you know, maybe how does the conversation go with clients? And I felt that in the way I was doing things, I was perhaps missing something. And then the opportunity to work with um, old mutual wealth as a financial planning coach in that space presented itself. And I really loved that because that was really my, um, my strength, the area I wanted to play in. And, uh, yeah, I've been with this business in essence for now, nine years, coming on just about 10 years um, next year. So it's been quite a, a long journey, but absolutely loved it.
1: Luke, I want to go back to that person that introduced you to financial planning. How did they position it? What did they say to you that was attractive to you?
2: So I think it was maybe maybe two main elements. So they presented it as a lucrative, you know, you can make money, in essence. But for any student, um, you know, in, a, in, a, in chasing a career, that's always, always a nice thing to hear that actually I can make a living out of this thing. Um, but also what was quite nice is the fact that you work with people, right? And you're trying to, in essence, help people reach their goals um, and what they want. And, and so the story that they told me is that, um, you know, uh, you, you had to struggle through your education, as an example. But had you put your plans in place, you know what I mean, had the opportunities presented themselves um, with your family they could have made a provision for that you know. and I thought actually that's quite brilliant so many people don't know about that so many people um, actually face their headwinds of life when they get there so we you know when I need to pay for university fees that's how I'd experience it with my friends it's quite often when the parents need to scratch around to find the means and even if you get bursaries you know, uh, so in the community that I come from people don't have money in essence even when people have bursaries Bursaries are paying for uh, – maybe most bursaries outside of government stuff will pay for your books, and they'll pay for your studies. It's actually quite expensive to come from a village or wherever you live and go to a, a city and have to pay for your food, your transport, back in that day, photocopying, which was also quite an expense. It actually becomes quite expensive, and it becomes quite a difficult journey, even through university and getting an education. education, um, if you haven't put stuff in place. So that was the main thing I thought, actually, this is quite brilliant. You know, uh, My mom didn't have a retirement plan. Nobody in my family that I can think of has walked that journey. I think it's something that I want to pursue. I think companies, in my mind, companies would always have money. And as an an auditor, you'd always find work. But this is something different. You actually make an impact to the man on the ground, in essence.
1: It's almost like someone just pulled back that curtain and said, hey, is this world of financial planning. We tend to be... Reactive. Let's be a little bit more proactive and, and help people to to plan this. What did your family say when you said, hey, I'm I'm not going to go this accountancy route. I'm going to change careers. Or did they even know?
2: So they did. They weren't happy because what is this thing? You know what I mean? Uh, what are you, are you doing with your policies? life? <laughs> um, yeah, what are you doing with your life? It's almost a, a certain degree of disappointment. So the biggest thing is that, um, and quite often, and it's one I spoke about at the FPI as well, is that if you come from uh, an underprivileged background, like I do, right? Um, so let me give you an example. Out of my, my mom, um, she was one of eight, right? So we were about maybe, call it close to 50 cousins that are on, in this age group. Of those 60, 50 cousins, there's only um, four of us that have a formal university education. Our parents didn't have. So the point is that is that the, the investment that they've made in you pursuing your career, you know, um, is because they want you to plow something back. And obviously, for them, you deciding on what you want to do is like, you know, what are you doing? You know, uh, we've, we've 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 invested so much in your journey, so you could plow back. This, you know, what money is there in selling policies and all that kind of stuff. We know people that sell. This is this is actually one of my cousins. Says so seems to me, I know people that sell funeral policies. Those people don't even go to school for that. You know, they they literally just were, were in matric, dropped out, you know what I mean? Um, and now they're selling funeral policies. Are you going to be doing that? You just wasted your life um, you know, in, in getting this, this education only for you to end up uh, you know, like a guy who's got a trick in essence.
1: I mean, Luke, that's a really difficult decision to make. When you're 18 or 19, you just started studying. Someone tells you about this new potential career. How much time did you spend actually thinking about the impact, researching, or was it just, wow, this is so exciting, I'm just going to jump into it?
2: So, yes, it, it, there was a part about how exciting it was and, and really was. All I did is I did jump into it. Um, I had the research that I did was with successful financial planners. And quite often, those are not the people to speak to. I can equate sometimes uh, the f- uh, financial planning. In essence, you're running a financial planning business. You are an entrepreneur, right? Even if you're working within a corporate brand, in essence, you're an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, whatever they choose to call it. But you, in essence, are building a business within a business, right? Uh, those are the worst kinds of examples, even in business. You can't take Elon Musk as an example, and say, okay, I want to be like Elon Musk, because your probability of being successful um, hinges on so much between you uh, being a student and you being a successful financial planner, right? And the one thing that I missed out on is how difficult that journey is, right? And and so that part I actually didn't have any clue. And so the right people to talk to would be a combination of yes successful financial planners but those guys are the cream of the cream of the crop Uh, but also guys that are not that great that are that have been working quite hard in this in this business and and people that even are working two jobs as a financial planner and do something else because they found the difficulty in the greatest difficulty in being a financial planner is getting access to clients and if you get access clients most people i think if you're competent and you've got all your qualifications you can be a relatively good financial planner
1: that's such a fascinating way of looking at it. It's almost like saying you need to speak to the people that didn't make it. You need to speak to the people that are struggling through instead of looking at the the one percent and saying, Oh, I wanna I wanna jump, you know, I want to take this shortcut and and take me directly there. But let's talk a little bit about this challenge that you pose, saying, How do you build a client base? How do you serve clients? How did you personally select who you'll be working with as a financial planner? that have now qualified and maybe studying towards the postgraduate?
2: So um, I I guess my biggest uh, gripe and something I spoke about as well is I think there needs to be a better focus on developing financial planners, right? Um, Because I think the one thing that the industry has done very well with the, the FPI and universities and all those partnerships is that they've increased the standard in the quality of potential people to be financial planners. But obviously the biggest thing is that there still is a bit of a struggle around access to clients and all of that kind of stuff that you need, all the all the personal qualities and competencies actually that you need on a day-to-day basis to become a successful financial planner. So in essence, um, had, when I worked for an insurer, it was very difficult. And actually, and the biggest difficulty um, was that the insurance models, uh, and, and I think that it's such an important conversation to have because it's the elephant In the room, and I'm not in essence picking on any insurer, but those are the biggest employers of financial planners, right? It's not so much your your independent financial planner. You can take one guy every five years, maybe. Your biggest employers are the guys that get in seven hundred to a thousand people into the industry as potential planners. Uh, with the success rate being minimal, you know what I mean, five percent or ten percent after three years or five years, so something like that. So the vast majority of the guys uh, will drop off. So I was in the, in that environment, and it was very difficult. Uh, once, I, and the and the main reason why is because that that model is not a, a model that fits all, right? The circumstances that I came from, I mean, in essence, but. We had to do what they call a a proverbial Ben Duffy where you write down 100 names of the people that you know. After I'd done that, what I'd realized is the vast majority of people I knew were either students or people that had just started working or they were, you know, because they talk about your friends and your parents' friends and all of that kind of stuff. The vast majority of those were domestic workers and garden boys, in essence, and I'm using a a derogatory word, but in essence, they were. and petrol attendants, people that were not, in essence, um, in the market that I was wanted to, in essence, work in for in order for me to be successful. So it does make it a little bit difficult. But then there was a little bit of a, of a difference in that I moved on from there and I worked in a in an environment where there was a access to a client base. Right? It was still a difficult because, in essence, I had to source all my clients uh, working in a, in that space. But it was actually great in that there was a learning environment because that three to four years um, when you start out is probably the most crucial uh, and you need the most development hand-holding and there needs to be a clear development path and a career path. And then working in an environment where there is a, a clear career path, where there is a development uh, um, uh, space in an arena, allowed me at least to flourish and actually to work um, is a relatively um, okay financial planner. I mean, it wasn't the greatest, but I was I was okay. You know what I mean. And, and so that's sort of the important component. So my biggest passion, really, uh, in financial planning is yes, it talks about diversity and inclusion. That's that's a big uh, passion of mine. And obviously, more importantly, is how we grow and develop financial planners in this industry. How do we attract the, the talent, and how do we retain the talent? Um, within this industry. Yes, obviously, my other passion is obviously client conversations and a lot. But the other part about it is it comes in this little particular part about the journey of financial planners.
1: I think it makes complete sense saying that once you join into a company, they are responsible of connecting you with your clients. But at the same time, if you think about these insurer models, surely in a world where social media is rife, we can connect with thousands of people is it really that difficult to get access to potential clients? Like why are we struggling to get our foot in the door as young financial planners? Do you think it's a confidence thing or is it really just you don't know how to articulate what it is that you're doing?
2: Okay. So this is, this is, a, this is a nice conversation because let's first of all talk about somebody that's a student. Let's just finish university, right? Um, first of all, if we talk about your personal attributes, you're right? You might have a reasonable amount of conscientiousness, right? You can plan, you can put in your work, you can you can have that kind of stuff. But in essence, the work that you had to do, you were planning in essence for for tests. But in that environment, you were doing the the minimum or the bare minimum. You some some sometimes people were learning for tests the day before, and we and you see that the struggle of a student that, that's not going to allow you to be successful. You haven't got the personal attributes. Um, you actually don't know what work is until you get into that environment. That's one crucial component of it, right? So now um, you're taking somebody who comes from that environment, right, and you expect them to be able to be, be quite clear around how to manage their time, how to manage their, their activities in sourcing clients. They've got no clue, so there needs to be a development path as to actually what do you do. And um, I have a, an analogy that I use um, working with financial planners and that, uh, you need to teach a student to walk at your pace, you know, because what they're coming on, they're coming from an environment that is very slack in essence. And people can get through an education system without actually ever really putting in hard work because you have a reasonable amount of intelligence. But work doesn't work like that. you know. When you're in a working environment, you need to manage your time. You need to manage your activities. And you need to put in the work in sourcing clients. So, so how do you prospect in the world that we're working in uh, for potential clients? I think it's different now because, in essence, when I started my journey, that was now uh, call it maybe twelve, um, yeah, twelve thirteen years ago. But I think if we talk about the world of social media, uh, the world of the multimedia world that we work in, you've got a lot more that you can call on. Meaning that your access to clients is not doing a Ben Duffy, you know. Your access to clients is that how do I work a potential market? How do I prospect in this world in, in order for me to get a potential clients and get in front of potential clients? The one thing that clients are hungry for, or potential clients, when you talk about prospects, is they're hungry for, for information and they're hungry for access to information. Right? That access for information provides you with a foothold to potentially do uh, proper financial planning. So, but it does mean that we need to put in the work, and for example, in just offering people a budgeting workshop online using Zoom, you know, and here's a link, and you can come onto this, and and then you do a proper job of providing all the tools, but that allows you to actually start having conversations with people. Financial planners always often talk about unlocking um, a wealth or unlocking a wealth through a conversation. The most important thing is for you to have that conversation. So, how do I attract that client for me to potentially? unlock this wealth. And what people are asking for is saying they're saying, give me information. Let me um take control of the things that I haven't been taking control of in my life. So so I want to know how do I buy a house. I want to know, you know, I want to know how do I create wealth. All of that kind of stuff are important conversations. And so you can't expect somebody who comes out of a, a student environment to know all of those things. You need to put into in place a proper development path so we can get you to a, a space where you can operate and walk at the pace of a successful financial planner,
1: Luke. Is that why we're seeing these career changes be more successful? People moving from one career, let's say education, and they were a teacher for fifteen years, and now they come into the industry. They have a bit more life experience. They have. They are work ready you know they are moving at a pace that is more sustainable to deliver advice do we see that this, are the statistics telling us that those people tend to be more successful or is it just that they have a bigger commitment they have larger bills to pay and they, they have to make it work
2: yes i also think so work experience is very important right and purely because you know how you what you how you need to manage your time in order for you to be successful but if we look at other careers right? In some careers, there's actually a proper training path, which makes it okay for you. So if you're a a student teacher, there's a training and development path to get you to learn how to work and how to produce work. If you are in the CA uh, um, program, there's a clear training path. And that training path not only teaches you the work you need to know, but it also teaches you what are the personal attributes, you know what I mean? How do you develop your conscientiousness in essence? How do you plan? How do you make sure you, you reach your tasks? By the time you walk out of there, you know how to manage your time. You know? So transferring from that, that career to financial planning makes it a lot easier. The other thing, obviously, that helps is that you've b- built up networks and connections in working. So you've met people, you've met colleagues. So at least you can start then to interact um, that way around. And also, there's a certain degree of comfort in that you have some life experience. But that's why I think it's so important for financial planners to actually be quite clear. If I'm bringing somebody into my practice, how am I going to develop that person? To get them from where they are, which is in essence a student who doesn't really know nothing, to get them to be you know, where you want them to be.
1: I think surely it also helps us to be able to picture ourselves in this role in the future to say, am I, do I have a future at this business? Can I see myself progressing? And yet, if we bring it to independent financial planning practices where we're saying that, you know, maybe we bring in one person every five years, like you mentioned, how would you advise an independent practice to create a career path? for a younger advisor or maybe a paraplan or even an administrator within that mm. business what would you say are the requirements for you to be able to put in this career plan
2: so i think there are a couple of things so i think the one thing that um is crucial is that you need to pay a salary right the, what a salary allows somebody to do is that you're not in an environment where you are so desperate for a sale because that's what happens sometimes when you you you've got bills you know what I mean you've got you, you're hungry in essence right that level of desperation for me it doesn't lead to good financial planning because what are you doing you're trying to get a sale in essence but you' gotta pay a salary and be quite clear in that salary that um uh, there is there might be. A, a basic, but there might be a variable component, right? But that variable comp- component will be compri- comprised of s- tasks or activities or what I need you to do in essence to be a financial planner. So, yes, I'm earning, you know, 5,000 rand a month, but I can earn 10,000 rand a month if I get all of these uh, components. And then you, those measures are built on how they're engaging with clients, you know what I mean, and, and how they're walking that journey towards where you want them to be. So that's that's the one part about it. The other part about it, it's going to be not just a monetary expense. There's also an expense of time and mentorship that you need to play in that role. And quite often, sometimes you might find people that bring somebody into their practice. They get annoyed. This guy's not doing anything, right? Uh, but you need to bear in mind he doesn't know what to do, you know. Um, so and, and then the other part about it is that you can also take a step journey that. Um, I'm not going to put you directly in front of clients, but we can build up towards that, right? So let's first start you off maybe in planning. even in paraplanning in itself, you know, in doing a comprehensive plan, there's a lot of work that's entailed in all of that, but you might give them segments in the development path. So you will spend the first couple of months doing this. In the next couple of months, we're going to add on to this. So you can actually get to a level where I'm reasonably okay that you're competent in what you do, right? But that means I have to spend time in mentoring in this process, then there's other part now I need to develop you into being a financial planner, right? It means after you develop that engagement roadmap with clients, you know, I need to allow you to at least be part of meetings to engage with clients. Um, and in most businesses, you have Cs and Ds, you have a tail that somebody can start to work with to develop their confidence and their competencies, um, and then they can operate as a financial planner. But what does that mean? It means that you might give up a tail, you know, in the, in the long run. So I think that the one thing sometimes um, that independent planners um, uh, underestimate is the cost, right? The cost is not just the salary, right? The cost is also the fact that you have to spend time, right? But you, have, you know what your value is. An hour of your time as a successful financial planner is quite expensive, but you need to spend an hour mentoring somebody as well. So there's that cost, the opportunity cost, where you could have been seeing clients, but now you're mentoring somebody. But it does pay off in the end. Because you have somebody in your business that's competent, and also you can work out a split. You know what I mean? That yes, now that you're part of my business, um, I'll be taking so much as a part of this association or this brand when you are a successful financial planner. So you actually get that back in the end, but you need to spend that time initially to get that guy up to speed and competent.
1: Luke, what strikes me is that this is no different from running any other business, right? It's getting people in, training them to do the service or produce the product or make the widget and actually go and um, present that to your client base. Yet oftentimes we hear that, oh, I don't want to train up someone. I don't want to spend all the time. I don't want to spend up all the energy just for them to leave or be poached by competitors. Mm -hmm. What's your take on that? Is it a valid excuse? Is it a cop-out? Is it just are we not creating enough incentives to retain that talent? How would you unpack that?
2: So, uh, so look, I think that if I look back at, um, for example, businesses or relatively larger businesses, so the one that I used to work with, so most people would say, okay, you know, if you're working, for example, for a bank or a corporate, you know what I mean, you're giving away half of your earnings in that environment. What you find is that, there's a certain degree of loyalty in that if I have a growth path, most people are right in the fact that I might be giving away a portion of my earnings to have this association with this practice, but as long as there's a growth path, you know, because in essence, most people are concerned with, can I grow my earnings uh, over a period of time and, and get to a part where I, I, I'm i okay. I don't have to sweat for for what I need to. So I have an idea of how, my how much is enough in terms of, of earnings, whatever it is, but you're okay giving away something if I can see myself growing because I might have that, well, what am I making in the pocket type of story. So there's that part. The other part is that if you take at the look at the CA profession, they train a, a massive amount of, of CA. So in this country, we have, what, almost 50-odd thousand CAs, but we have um, only about 4,000 and a bit in terms of CFPs, right? In that business, in that environment, they're all right. They're okay letting go of their CAs right? because it's 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 a small market. South Africa is a small market. Some of them even go internationally. But what you've done is that you've increased the competence of the broader market. So you you might lose somebody, but you might gain somebody from somebody else. And so you should be okay. And I've actually built somebody up, and I've had this. Um, but I think where most people get hurt is if you've intended for that person to be your succession plan, right? Um, I'm leaving in three or four years' time. I'm bringing in somebody to be my succession plan. Um, but now this person, I want to leave next year. Now this person wants to leave my business. And there's that kind of thing. You know what I mean? I was hoping to sell my business onto them. What, what that entails that you need to have a long view about your successor and not trying to do a succession plan within five or so years of, we, of you leaving. So you need to have a long-term view. But then in, in, you need to also train up. I have more than one person to be your successor in the business because you never know what happens with people in the market. So it's okay. I do think though that the way we need to relook at how we develop financial planners is that yes, IFA's need to look at it, but also the big guys. You know what I mean? They need to relook at how we are developing financial planners in that space. Right? And the reason why I say that that's important because of the amount of people that come through those those that environment. Because the one thing that people never consider is what happens to the guys that drop off? You know, vast majority leave. Your experience of the industry is so terrible that you actually want to go do something else or you might cycle back and try and leave your opportunity somewhere else. The other part about it is that what happens to those clients? You know, I am in, in in the academy model where there's 22 of us. When Luke leaves in month six, you know what I mean? Sipo in month seven will take over those clients. But Sipo is in the same... Um, has level of competence where he's so desperate, where if he takes on those clients, he's going to be trying to sell them something, or they might fall off and become orphans, or, or they might actually lapse and not become clients at all. So the point is, we're not giving a good client experience. But obviously, the the story in all of this, in in for ways, whether you're an IFA or whether you're a, you're a big corporate, is the fact that you need to spend on this. you know, And so you can't be greedy. I can't be greedy and hanging on to my Cs and Ds and my tail. I need to be okay letting go of that tail if I'm an IFA. If you're working in a big corporate, is that how do we then fund a model where people might be getting a bit of a salary and all of that kind of stuff? Sometimes it means you have to take a little bit off your top producers, right? And so the big fear is that if I... You know, what I mean, some of these guys are getting 110% of commissions or all of that kind of stuff because of all the benefits that's wrapped up. But if I'm now charging a little bit from the top guys, right, um, you have a fear that they might leave and go work for another insurer or another business, you know. But in actual fact, if we have a consensus of a guy amongst these broader big guys, that we need to think differently about the way we're developing financial planners, we need to rework these models. But it can't happen from one company. It actually needs to be from all of the big players, right? And there needs to be consensus that actually, you know what I mean, are we doing the right and the ethical thing? Yes, it might work out from a, a, um, from a productivity or from a profit point of view. But obviously the other part, which is my sort of passion, is that is it the ethical thing to do for your, the clients that, that come through those models? or the guys that are the financial planners that we never really care about, they leave, you know, the guys that have failed out of those models. Is it the right thing for those, kind of, for those people as well? So the point is that greed, either way, is not going to help in, a, in advancing the, the industry, whether you're an IFA or whether you are in, in a, a big corporate environment. We need to think about it differently.
1: Luca, like that part that you mentioned, is this the ethical Component to this, because oftentimes when we talk to clients and we say, you know, by law, we're not required to be fiduciaries. We're not required to act in your best interest. We can actually put our own interest in front of your interest, yet in our business, we choose to not do that. If we look at the American setup, you know that legislation failed; they couldn't pass the fiduciary standard. What do you think the odds are in South Africa that we get to a point where we're forced by law to have a fiduciary standard, or at least from an insurance perspective that we're forced to place clients in front of the profits of the insurer?
2: So, so I don't think it's look, I, and I used insurers as an example, but I, I do think it's a broader part. I do think we can get there, but the one thing that I've seen with the other legislations that we've had, whether it's phase uh, or any of that kind of stuff, because I saw, I saw a little bit of the end of that environment, right? Um, or the, or what's, what's pending, or with, us, for example, the, the work that's been done around, uh, you know what I mean, the ring fencing, the financial planner mark, and all of that kind of stuff, for in clients. For all of that to be successful, it's actually not up to regulators, right? It's up to each individual planner, and each an individual uh, financial planning business to think actually together we wanna do the right thing for, for the business and the industry. And this is the path that we will take is we will take an ethical path. We will take a path of developing. We'll take a path where we don't put profits ahead of clients. All ahead of our people, you know, um, and that's the other thing is that some, some, sometimes the, 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 the right thing is ESG and all that kind of stuff you I know, mean what are you doing for the environment, but sometimes we need to think about the people that work within the environment that we're doing because at the end of the day, there are not enough financial planners for the South African market there's not enough access to good quality financial planning. For, for the average person out there in the, in the industry and in the market. And so the more people we have working, and I think that's all, often the fear is that, you know, I won't make as much money if if now, now there's two of us and there was one of us operating in the market. But at the end of the day, there's, some, there's such a massive need that actually we need as many people as we can giving good quality financial planning.
1: So how do you see this ban out over the next few decades? How do we provide... The rest of South Africa, with good quality financial advice, I know we've had this conversation. It might feel like we started from scratch, but it feels like that progress is so slow that we'll never get
2: there. yeah so I think there's so I think we need to come back to um if you are giving good advice, right? Because I think the one thing that's quite clear is that um there's only a, there's a although there's lots of people in South Africa. There's a small market of high net with individuals and most financial planners want to play uh, in that space. So that means that what you, you only the 2 million or whatever um, people that are potential clients are the ones we want to try and have a conversation with. But I do think that um, if I'm an IFA, um, me disseminating information around something as simple as, uh, as budgeting and I've got all these platforms where there's social media because I know and and uh, allowing for tools, you know what I mean? Something simple that the average man can use. I think doing that kind of I'm gonna call it volunteer or charity work at least is a start is a start in the right direction. Because in essence, most people don't necessarily need whole holistic or comprehensive financial planning, right? Most people's need is is that actually, you know. I'm struggling between wants and needs. You know, uh, I can't save. You know what I mean? I can't put stuff away because I've got all of this. So even getting a, a simple conversation around budgeting, or you might find some people are saying, okay, uh, I, I earn, uh, this is called a 15 odd thousand rand. I'll only really, only ever, because I'm a, you um, uh, call a government worker, whatever it is. Um, my, my income growth is going to be limited by inflation over the years or whatever we negotiate, right? So the point is that is that most financial planners, that 250 rand that you have in your budget while you're running your family, they can't work with you, right? But it also might mean that actually how do we get people like that to be either be, be look for self-directed tools or all of that kind of stuff, you know? So what it does mean is that financial planners will have to disseminate information. The guys that have got the budgets and the balance sheets need to think about how do we make financial planning available digitally to a broader audience, right? And quite often there's this fear, especially amongst, just, I'm going to call them the bigger guys, is that if I develop a, I've got the budget to develop a self-directed tool, right, that might benefit people. I, um, my fear is that I might be alienating my distribution. Right? But we all know that um, your good quality financial planning will never ever be able to be surpassed by a digital tool. It might get there. We might get closer as tele- technology develops. But right now at the moment, you know what we've seen from your betterments all the likes, is mostly single needs. And it's mostly um, uh, small money that's going into that. Or, or I call it small money, You know, but you know what I mean by that? Um, so the point is that those self-directed tools are not going to be uh, cannibalizing your high net worth individuals, but it will allow broader access the rest of the market to get some kind of financial planning although it might not be good quality but it, it's better than nothing in essence but it also means that um, the people with the budgets need to think about this thing differently and and put away something and start investing in something like that.
1: I like how you have phrase that that these digital tools will not surpass the value of individual advice. I mean people still like that hand-holding and people need it if you compare you know, the work of a GP to that of WebMD, you can Google all your symptoms, but that doesn't replace mm-hmm. your doctor, doesn't replace that process. So Luke, your work as a financial planner coach, what does the conversations look like with financial planners? What are their concerns mm-hmm. other than, you know, finding a client base and, and, and kind of generating money? What are the most common concerns that you're seeing right now? And has that maybe changed post-COVID?
2: So um, the guys that I work with, so maybe let me describe the, the kind of financial planner that we partner with. So it will be a, a relatively mature business. And generally, we we'll, we would partner with, with planning practices that say, um, I'm a right in terms of my technical steel and competence because I've developed that. You know? But what I'm looking, I'm looking to to, to take the next step which has not become a, trans, a planner or, or technical planner, but to introduce conversational-based models uh, to the way I do. So I want to focus on my client engagement. Right? I want to either – I mean, there's so many so much wording around the industry, but they either want to look at behavioral coaching or look at, uh, you know what I mean, conversational – any other conversational-based or behavioral finance or psychology. I want to introduce that client conversation element – to my, um, to the way I do things. And so what we offer is to say, okay, coaching is the way we do the thing. And so that's how we, we partner with you. So those are the kind of planners that I work with. I think quite a lot of them were quite content in that they were safe through this COVID environment because they have some of the, the competences to deal um, with client um, concerns and barriers. And quite a lot of, often their, their conversations is really around, okay, I'm your money manager, I hold your, and my relationship with you is really a coaching conversation around you feeling these fears. How do we manage those fears relative to what's going on in the environment? And we can have that kind of conversation. Obviously, the biggest the biggest uh, concern is, you know, I want the a professional industry. I want that distinction of saying there's a a, a competence. If uh, they quite like the idea around um, ring fencing the. The financial planning uh, word, so if I'm a financial planner, I like to say, okay, if I'm calling myself a financial planner, that distinguishes me from everybody else, and that word is protected because there's certain competencies and and, and there's a journey that I need to get to to get to that part. part. The other part, obviously, is, is that uh, some people got a taste of technology, and so so they like, want to talk about, okay, how do I incorporate more of this technology component? Um there was a little bit of work that was done around investigating um, artificial intelligence and tools but obviously the next step is to say okay how do I introduce what I would call emotionally intelligent tools into how I, how I do my conversation so the point is that what if what what um, tools can I use that will give me a better sense of where the clients mood is where um, uh, where they sit in terms of how they show up so I can bring that in and that can be a point of of conversation in my in my journey so they want to try and pull in and draw in all these different tools and models and all of that kind of stuff so the point is that that these guys are okay but the big concern is what's happening with legislation because that's my client's concern and then obviously they're looking for for new developments around all of these different components but otherwise they've been relatively all right
1: what i'm hearing is that they're kind of expanding the value offering that they're saying, hey, we can touch more areas of a client's life through having better quality conversations, not only maybe the money component, but making sure that you know we encapsulate the money within the rest of that client's life
2: absolutely and and even if it's and also having a holistic view on, on the clients you know, so I know that this person for example Luke, is married you know what I mean there's another component of okay how, how have I how have I allowed or created the space where we can have the conversation with the spouse and the broader people that sit within this environment? So it talks around that sort of generational planning and how do we have those those conversations? Because often that's that's a major struggle that um you've done all this financial planning, there's all of these policies and whatever it is that are paying out money they're paying out, but beneficiaries take it and squander it. You know what I mean? So how do we have better relationships? With, um, with beneficiaries whether it's mine and so how but at the same time I, ha, I can't spend time with those people so how do I incorporate technology and how, into this conversation and social media and all of this kind of stuff so I have a, a relationship with uh, the broader um, family it's
1: fascinating once we remove that script of this is the way we've always done it and we can say hey this is this is the future this is what we can see and these are the lives we we can change what do you see financial planning look like 10 years from now? Are we still going to have meetings with clients? Are we still going to talk about these things? Like, What are we going to do more of and what will we do, be doing less of?
2: So I, I do think in, in the in the future where we're going into, I think technology is going to become a, a crucial component um, of financial planning. And it's going to be better use of technology. I think uh, financial planners are taking to the hybrid and I think that's what COVID has really helped us with, taking to this hybrid environment. But obviously, the, the challenge is is obviously your time, you know, and how much time you spend with clients. And so, what people are looking at is that how do I incorporate tools that will give, give me better insight into my engagement with clients? How does my business have a better relationship with my clients? So that might mean that I'm, you know, I might spend some money. Developing uh, a a client portal where I have my clients have a sense of where their wealth sits, they can manage it. They might sit it ac- across different platforms. They might be able to put in their goals. So it'll be stuff like that that where you know, in that hybrid environment, uh, people can en- engage with dashboards and around what their dreams and aspirations are. They can interact with it. It can be like a almost like a social media type thing where they in- engage with this client platform. But that'll give you insight and information. from a a planner's point of view, when it comes to uh, your engaging with your clients. So those kinds of tools that at least allow you to have a better sense of client data, and having these different hybrid tools is going to give us a better sense of how we can give better advice to our clients. So it will be a deepening relationship with the use of these hybrid type tools.
1: I'm very excited. I think that sounds like a wonderful model where we can be more entrenched in someone's life and you might have smaller more frequent interactions to kind of nudge them in the right direction instead of the annual big 100 page financial plan reveal and nothing ever gets implemented
2: yes absolutely and so i think that the biggest challenge even now there are great tools you know but often those are all different they're set in different areas and they're owned by different companies you know and so, I think the biggest challenge is going to be have is going to be a way of how do we work all of these things in, into an easy to use thing and for me as a financial planner that I can engage with all these these different tools and elements to give me better insight into my into my clients.
1: Luke, I want to thank you for your contribution today. It's wonderful to chat to you and see how passionate you are and how easily you can predict what's going to happen in the future i guess time will tell we'll do this again in a few years and look back and say remember remember that prediction that you made
2: Mm. (laughs) see if you were if you were right or not yes absolutely i enjoyed it thank you for the conversation
1: thanks luke